This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. The Jason Kavnis Experience is brought to you by Kavnis HR. Small businesses lose an average of $10,000 per small business employee and small business owners spend 25% of their time on HR. Time better spent taking care of employees, customers, and building their business. This is costing small business owners valuable time and money. Cavernous HR is solving this by delivering HR to companies with 49 or fewer people across the U.S. through a voice-enabled AI platform along with a HR business partner. Cavernous HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. Before we start the podcast, I want to remind you to join my text community at 830-400-4523. I am texting about HR and startups and entrepreneurship and other interesting items. Send me your questions on these and other items. So once again, text me at 830-400-4523. Now on to this great podcast episode. Hello. And welcome to Jason Cabinet's Experience. I'm your host, Jason Cabinet. Our guest today is Bernard Edwards. Bernard, are you ready to be great today? I'm ready, brother. Bernard Edwards writes, speaks, and consults in product management, lifestyle design, and the future of work. As a former United States Air Force surgical team manager and program director, Bernard spent his military career leading and mentoring many of the world's brightest and bravest savers of life and limb. Since retiring from the Air Force, Bernard has been blessed to be featured in the PBS documentary, The Next Mission, Lead Influencer Marketing Initiatives, partner with a multi-million dollar real estate team, and the EXP Realty, Realty Brokerage. Appear on multiple satellite radio and podcast shows, brand strategize and growth hack for multiple projects, and speak on numerous stages of and speak on numerous stages for universities, companies, military installations, and organizations around the world. Bernard's mantra is to find the space in between your passion and purpose and pivot towards it, no matter how many times it takes or how many times it challenges you. Bernard, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Jason. I really appreciate you. So, Bernard, let's go back in your day. Your child, you grew up in somewhere not in the United States, correct? Yeah, correct. I was a military brat. So I was born in the Azores, Portuguese islands. Uh, we have a small base there, an Air Force base, Lodges Air Force Base. Um, I was probably like one of the last American kids, well, American military kids born on the island. Um, somewhere in the 80s, they started uh, shipping moms off the island. Either uh, they had to go back home stateside or they could choose to uh, have the kid over at Longstool Regional Medical Center. But, uh, but yeah, I was born there. And you grew up in Europe? Yeah, so... Um, you know, before I can remember, we moved away from uh, the Azores and moved to England. Um, Dad was stationed there in England. Mom was actually in the uh, Royal Army, but, uh, you know, decided to get out, you know, once she met my dad and, um, and, and follow him uh, where the military took him. Fortunately, after the Azores, uh, you know, took it 
took him, him and us back to her hometown. Um, so I grew up in Ipswich, uh, Ipswich town, not too far from London. Um, they got all right football club. Um, <laughs> two of my, uh, my friends growing up. And when I say football club, um, we're talking about the Queens football, not the uh, American football, um, which I quickly like uh, put that sport away, <laughs> uh, which I didn't with two of my friends playing on the England World Cup team and, and being millionaires um, behind playing playing sports. I mean, that's the that's the ultimate dream right there. But uh, but yeah, yeah, eventually, um, you know, I went to British school, wore the British uniform, all, all that good stuff. Um, and then, uh, about the fourth grade, my folks decided, all right, we're going to start Americanizing you, Bernard, becoming a school on base and kind of the rest of this history, um, you know, from elementary school, middle school, eventually we moved to Germany, uh, went to Spangdahl um, middle school for a little bit. And then, uh, Bitburg, uh, we moved there for my high school years. And I graduated from Bitburg American High School, which uh, sadly, um, due to the drawdown, <laughs> they just recently closed it. So, but yeah, Bitburg Barons. So how much was a challenge for you to go from the Queen's English to so-called American English? Well, if you want, I can turn it on just like that. <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, it's funny. Like I wanted to, I wanted to fit in. Um, so, I mean, initially growing up as a kid, I used to watch like American football, um, you know, NFL as as we call it, um, and these different American things. And I knew my dad was American, but you know, from my grandma to my aunts, uncles, cousins, everything around me, like we'd go on the base here and there. But because my mom was so plugged in, she worked for British Telecom. Um, she was actually making more money than my dad at the time, um, getting paid in pounds, and then it would convert to dollars. Um, but um, before she eventually had my siblings and, and focused on being, you know, commander of the house and, and doing the mill spouse thing. But um, but yeah, for me, like in the fourth grade, I remember coming off the bus and um, one of my childhood friends, Claire, she grew up like me, like we our grandparents were like around the corner from each other. Um, you know, her dad, American, a mom, British and uh and we didn't go to the same, like, primary school growing up. Um, I think we might have went to the same kindergarten, but we just hung out a lot. Our, our moms were, like, tight. I think they, they went to school together. And um, so we'd hang out a lot as family and stuff like that. But I remember me and her were on the bus, like, the first day of the fourth grade, and we happened to be in the same class that year. And, like, Claire, she had, like, the American accent down pat. And I was just like, man, I hadn't worked on this thing. But uh, somehow I just like snapped to it, like wanting to fit in. I remember I pronounced like a few words weird and the kids laugh. But um, but yeah, before you know it, like I was just all, all Americanized. And so you spent most of your um, elementary, junior high and high school in, in the Europe. Yeah, for real. I didn't um, I didn't actually live in the U.S. until I joined the U.S. military. So. I mean, I visited Chicago, where my pops was from, um, but we were hanging out in like a flat five block radius of Chicago. That was my only experience for, you know, when it comes to America. Back then, um, the X amount of tours that you did overseas, the military would pay and fly your family back home. So they'd buy tickets, 
um, and even pay for like the hotel and, and stuff like that. I remember we like stayed in the Hilton in downtown Chicago, which was ridiculous because it was like, <laughs> sorry, mom, dad. Um, it was a very ridiculous choice, poor choice. Um, you know, we're, we're in a swanky Hilton, you know, back in the day, Hilton was like on a different level than it is now. And, um, yeah, we're in like the middle of, of Chicago. We got, I think we had a rental car, but like the aunts, uncles, like everybody that we're seeing, they're like out in, they're not, they're not in that part of Chicago. And so, um, yeah, it was more, I remember those trips, those, they'd be like a chore and they'd be like, you know, you didn't have, uh. Google Maps back then, uh-huh. so folks would be getting lost in the in the wrong part of town, and yeah. Anyway, one thing used to drive me crazy because I was in overseas too, and like we would fly home like to Texas, right? Yeah. It would drive me crazy. We just like you know, ninety seven hour flight, right? Slight exaggeration from Italy, yes. Germany, or whatever. And we fly there, and sure enough, some family member, some friend will call me and my wife. Hey, I heard you're in town. Can you drive thirty minutes to my house? Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, yeah. are you seriously? We're right? the ones. Did you just say that? We're the ones that just flew internationally, but you want us to come to you. Yeah. 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 People that aren't in the military will never understand that, but it's it's just part of part of it. So growing up in Europe in military, like you know, American military schools and bases, and your parents being in the military, was that advantage or disadvantage for you joining joining the Air Force? You think? Um, it was an advantage for life in general, period. Um, you know, whether I'd have joined the military or not, it was definitely an advantage for the military. Um, but yeah, just life, like having, having this lens of seeing other cultures, living amongst other like people from different walks of life, utilizing different currency, having to try to pick up a different language just enough to get by in at, at certain times. I mean, you definitely could be one of those people to just hang out on the base all day long. But I mean, those, you know, sorry for those of you watching this, that that's your jam. Um, I can't stand that. That's just not me. Like, I got to be outside the gate, um, you know, living life, traveling, doing stuff. But uh, yeah, total advantage. Um, Being a military brat. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were there were people I might have been the only military brat in my uh in my flight as we say in the air force um you know there's probably a couple of us in our squadron but uh but yeah i remember that in basic basic training and i've done rotc like every uh every school over there we call it dodds department of uh defense um schools but uh yeah over there every school's pretty much got an rotc program so i did junior rotc was a group commander for that. Um, so, you know, marching, wearing the uniform, things of that nature had already done it. It drive me crazy. Like you're in Germany and you got people over there, they're on the base, all the great beer there and they get, you know, curved loud or, you know, Keystone light, you know, like, are, are you kidding me? Like, what yeah. are you doing, guy? Like, yeah. come on now. It's a joke. I remember um, hanging out at these clubs, you know, I'll, I'll throw them out there for anyone that's, that's been, that's watching this. Castells um, over in Bitburg, Cayutes, over in, uh, I want to say it was Bensfield. Yeah, Bensfield. You had the Coliseum. Um, yeah, and then over in Trier, you had a f- couple clubs like DJs and the Riverside. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, was, I had to be, what, between the ages of, like, 15 and 18, mm-hmm. um, going to clubs, you know. The European way, right? <laughs> yeah, jumping out of 
you know, jumping out of the back window mm-hmm. in, in Bitburg, um, linking up with whoever had a car, sometimes paying for a taxi, um, you know, and uh, hitting the town and getting back, you know, jumping back through the window for something in the morning, getting back in the bed as, as if uh, nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. Like you, yeah, for, like you got eight hours of sleep. Yep. So what was your favorite place in Europe to visit? Um, now? Yeah. Or just in life? In, in life. Oh, in life, I love Barcelona. Like that, mm-hmm. like I could see myself um, spending a few months every year in Barcelona. I, I like that. I like the vibe there, the siestas, taking a nap during the day, the tapas way of uh, eating food, mm-hmm. you know, everybody sharing and just, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but tasting everything. The cava, which is their version of like champagne. It's their sparkling wine. Um yeah, it's just laid back. You know, they got beach life there. Um, yeah, just real cool. So you decided to join the Air Force after high school? Yeah, right out of high school. So what, what was the thinking on that? Was it, you know, pressure from your dad? You want to be like him? You, you're like, you weren't ready for college? or Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I was pretty decent at sports. I was a, I was a multi-sport, uh, you know, letterman and, and team captain. Um one of the standout sports for me was uh, track and field. So, you know, thought I was going to get a scholarship, was looking at a uh, uh, Morehouse. And, um, you know, that was just like back in the day. So I graduated high school in 98. Um, and that was back in the day, you know, before Internet was as popular, uh, before everybody and their mama had, um, you know, a video camera on their phone. I mean, back then, didn't nobody even have cell phones that I was around. So, um yeah, with that being said, it was just like, all right, you know, I've graduated high school, I did ROTC, I can go in the military, already get two, you know, two stripes, two ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, the military, I can get my school paid for, my education, I can be a part of an organization that's bigger than myself, I can work towards, you know, I can have health care, I can work towards, um, uh, you know, a career at a skill while serving the nation. And, uh, so that was the thought there. Um, it wasn't, I don't think it was so much about like wanting to be my father in the sense of like a conscious thought, um, you know, but definitely looking back now, I see the correlation and just, it was just like, a, like that natural progression. I mean, you know, we were an enlisted family. Um, you know, I didn't have a college fund. My, my, my brother was born 10 years after me, my next brother, 11 years. And then my sister, 13 years after me. And so, you know, we we had mouths to feed, um, you know, uh, co- my college being paid for without uh, getting loans and things of that nature was not an option. And just, um, you know, I was first generation college once I did join the military and, and got my school that way. So just, um, you know, a lot education is a, in the sense of not just like formal uh, traditional education, but just education in general, being exposed to processes and understanding things and getting over fears and uh, things of that nature go into play with the way that you're able to take advantage of opportunities and or set up opportunities for your, you know, your, your next generations. And so, you know, I'm a first generation college grad. So, you know, my folks were big on me doing good in school and, and being respectful and responsible and teaching me kind of those um, uh, those type of traits, which served me well in life, and I feel like those are are far more important than college. And 
yeah, I was able to get my college, earn my college in a way, you know, I, I, it, I, I don't want, you know, nothing handed to me. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad every life worked out the way it did. So what did you do in the Air Force? So I, was a, I started out as a surgical technician. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my bio, you know, uh, surgical operations manager, it's not even like a formal term that's used in the military. That's me understanding how the civilian world speaks and what they want to hear you did. And for myself, like I, I wasn't just a surgical technician. I, I eventually was running 17 operating rooms, ensuring all the supplies were there. While I didn't directly supervise nurses and uh, residents and doctors and things of that nature, in a way I did have to schedule uh, many things related to the efficiency of their duties that uh, they basically couldn't perform their job without me performing mine. And so in, in that, yeah, you are, you know, there's, that's the best term, surgical operations manager. Anyone that's like worked their way up as an NCO and got into some uh, form of responsibility where you're training folks that ensure the operating room uh, is, pre- is prepared for that patient and that that surgeon has all the supplies, tools, instrumentation that they need in a sterile manner. So assigning the right uh, junior technician that can assist in that procedure and help that person out. If you just throw anybody into, um, say, for example, a total hip replacement, it's going to be a problem. I mean, you're, you're cutting directly into the bone of that patient's hip to then replace it. And if you have someone that doesn't know what they're doing, now you're leaving that bone exposed longer because the procedure is not happening sufficiently. Maybe that person is getting nervous and they're dropping something or contaminating something, touching something they shouldn't. And now you're putting infection directly into that bone. The patient could die, let alone, you know, the numerous other problems. And so, you know, we were doing everything from AAA bypasses to heart surgery to, um, plastic surgery, breast enhancements, tummy tucks, uh, you know, knee replacements, ankle surgery, shoulder surgery. We did a hand transfusion on a patient. Um, interesting story. She was a first sergeant who, you know, one of her troops had some uh, psychological issues and, uh, you know, she was hard on him and kicked him out of the Air Force. And that joker sent her... Um, no joke on Lackland, a, a letter bomb and blew her hand off. And like, you know, she had other injuries and, and things of that nature. And I remember being like a young, uh, young in the air force when that happened. And then what was crazy is like years later, I'm like in charge at the facility where we did like this 18 hour procedure on this, on this individual years later. Um, and then crazy enough, Years after that, um, I was running a orthopedic department where we actually continued to take care of her rehabilitation. Um, you know, people think that that, you know, you just strap into someone's cadaver hand on somebody and it's um, they're using it uh, automatically. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the body rejects any any type of transplant. The body's going to reject things. Drugs are going to have to be taken to combat that. Folks are going to have to relearn. But um, yeah, just the just an amazing um, thing to be a part of. Well, people don't know, surgeons in the Air Force, are these like civilians, the Air Force trains them, how does that work? Combination of both. 
Um, majority are military trained. So a lot will go through either U-shoes or some other form of med, med school and then eventually go on and either do. Um, so for the surgeons, uh, let's let's say they're going into the specialty urology or ear, nose and throat or orthopedics or some other subspecialty. They'll go and get further training specifically in that after becoming a doctor. And uh, and we're talking years and years of school. You know, we're talking like you know, 14 odd years of school. Um, and they're, you know, along the way, they're touching patients and doing, you know, doing different procedures and, and uh, getting trained up. Um, but if they've, uh, if the military has paid for that the whole way. There's a big cost for them to pay yeah, time, the military right? owns that person. And, and uh, yeah, they're, they're going to definitely be putting in a lot of years and the military is going to be. what, three years for every one of school they pay for, something like that? Um, it depends on the program. Sometimes it's one-to-one. Um, sometimes it's two to one. I, I, I'm not sure about the three to one. That's, uh, I think it's the army thing. Damn. The army's screwing, army's three screwing to one. folks over. <laughs> army's that's, three to one. that's harsh. Dang. Um, but yeah, you know, and I think it's all relative to like what, what level that person's doing, whether it's a fellowship or residency, things of that nature. But, um, but yeah, some amazing folks. And I mean, along the way they're, they're learning. Uh, Dr. Rispoli, for example, um, great orthopedic surgeon. I got to work with him in many different uh, military medical centers, um, everywhere from Texas to Andrews Air Force Base, home of Air Force One, with the presidential surgical team, um, yeah, just all over the place with him. But, uh, yeah, he trained at the Mayo Clinic. Um, uh, and, you know, Dr. Skeet, she's an orthopedic surgeon, hand surgeon. Um, you can look her up. She's been in, in People magazine. So many, so many others. Just a, a lot of amazing, smart minds. And I'll tell you, my success to this day. Uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'd have been as successful had I not been in that environment. Um, every branch is a little bit different. In the Air Force specifically, you know, the surgical technician is the only enlisted person that is in that patient's immediate circle of care. So you have an anesthesiologist, a nurse anesthetist, a physician assistant, possibly uh, a nurse circulating the room, um, the surgeon. You probably have a resident and a, maybe a med student or two. Mm-hmm. All these people are officers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and they could be everything from, you know, a second lieutenant all the way up to, you know, full work colonel. Mm-hmm. Um you know, even higher if that person still wants to keep their skills up and come in and and uh, and operate. And so you're just a different enlisted person when everyone around you is that high of a rank. And, uh, yeah, there's just a different weight on your shoulder. And, uh, yeah, I definitely feel like the Air Force um, and all the branches that have surgical technicians, there should be some type of warrant system within there. Once folks get out of that initial uh, kind of training and uh, and start supervising others and taking on these deep responsibilities because it's you, you got life and limb. That's why I say, you know, I, I got to train three over 350 of, this, of our nation's greatest savers of life and limb. I mean, these people are going down range and they're going into places and and going into scenarios and situations where there's not enough surgeons to go around. And they potentially do have to figure out a way to stop 
bleeding, maintain airway, and do surgical uh, related procedures of some type themselves. Um, it does happen. It's not, you know, it's not the norm 24 seven, but it does happen. And um, yeah, big responsibility. So let's go back to something you said earlier. You said uh, that you translated your military skills to civilian speak. Yeah. Why do some military veterans get this wrong? Like, oh, I mean, I was just training, they know, just training from no tap, all this kind of stuff. But consistently military veterans <laughs> put down, I did this, I'm putting this on my resume. Yeah. And you try to talk to them like, no, I did this. And that you can't talk to them. Yeah. I mean, so folks throw out the, you know, don't, don't use the military jargon, but I think that, um, it's such a blanket general statement. Like people see it, <coughs> excuse me, at like face value. And so they're like, maybe not using an acronym like PCS. Like, let's say they were, they worked in the finance department and they were, they were in charge of, uh, PC, you know, PCS payments or something. So they don't use PCS payments and they're like, okay, I didn't use military jargon, but you know, um, Amazon is going to be like, well, what, you know, what exactly did you do? You know, you, you were, you're a finance officer and you were in charge of, you know, it's, it's, you got to look at the company or you got to look at the industry and, and find out, what are the people that are doing the same things you were doing or as close to as possible? And, you know, find out the, the nomenclature that they're using in that particular industry and field. And you've got to adopt that into your own resume if you want a civilian person to understand, you know, what the hell you did. I just think a lot of the military veterans, too, I think too many of us expect stuff for free, right? Mm-hmm. We, I, you know, I serve six years, I deserve this job. And, and mm-hmm. people don't realize, even if a company says, you know, I'll make one up like X, XYZ company says yeah, yeah. military we're friendly. Yeah. We're going to hire 1000 veterans. Yeah. Well, you still have to be qualified for the job, right? Yep. And, and it's, and I think a lot of people in military and non-military too, they say, well, I'm going to pay 60,000 a year. I'm only going to do $60,000 worth of work. Well, no, the company is expecting like a, you know, your ROI, KPI, something from you. Right. Yep. And it's not a nonprofit, right? It's for a profit business. Yep. I think a lot of veterans especially don't realize, you know, they have to show how they go add value and make the company better. Just, for sure. you, you don't make it better just by being a veteran. Right. For sure. I think a lot and of people I, get that wrong. You know, I, and I don't mean to like kick, kick dirt at the fellow veterans. Like the whole system is, is, you know, failing the veteran community. But I would say, um, if I could tell veterans anything, if you're still wearing a uniform, you're watching this podcast, um, you got to take ownership. You got to step outside the norms. When, you know, when I see stuff like, oh, Google has created this um, uh, military resume translator. It's like, that's cool. That's that's nice. OK, someone throws their military, whatever the history. I don't even know what document they're using to, to throw into this thing. They throw it in there and the Google's supposed to like auto anything automated is like you're that's just lazy. Like me personally, I've never done that. Um, you're you need to like comb through your results, the results that you did and figure out, OK, what's the opportunity I'm going after and read that job description front, back, center and realize, OK, I have these qualities or I've done this and I've got these skills and I've got these stories that prove I've got the capabilities for what this job description is talking about. If I don't, I need to go get them and or I need to figure out how that I can translate 
what I did while in the uniform to as closely align to that as possible. And it can be done and it can be done in weird ways. Um, but the best way is not going to be going to some automated Google translator. The best way is going to be networking with those actual individuals doing what you want to be doing, where you want to be doing it, going and sitting down, having coffee with them, telling them what you did and working with them to help a help you translate your military story towards that opportunity that you want so bad. B, that's getting your foot in there. Now someone who their resume got them the interview and then their interview got them the job and now their job performance has kept them there. There's just being around these people. It goes back to my time in the operating room. Being around these people that are that are higher level, that are more successful and, and uh, getting paid more and are where you want to be. I mean, it's, you know, it's like that old saying, you know, you got you got five bums, you hanging out with five bums. Guess who's the sixth bum? You know, same, exactly. same thing. You want to hang out with bums or millionaires? Your choice. So let's suppose someone's out there getting rid of the military. They're at a networking event. They look around. There's 50 people there, right? All 50 are getting out of the military. What would you tell this person? Go home. Go, you know. I waste mean, time, right? Shake a few hands. I mean, if you, if you want to go, you know, um, you just described, you know, the American Legion. No, you're right. I didn't think about that, but you're basically, right. You're basically right. You know, I mean, that's cool. Don't get me wrong. I love my fellow veterans. But if I'm on the grind, if I'm, if I'm about to get out of the military or if I'm out the military and I'm not happy where I'm at in life, going and hanging out there, okay, that's, that might, you know, make me happy, bringing up some old stories, being around. I'm all for camaraderie. But if your goal for this particular event <laughs> is to level up, you're the wrong place. None of those people are actually doing what you want to be doing where you want to be doing it. You'd be better off making your own event. I mean, you need to. You need to own that shit. You need to be like, okay, forget a freaking job fair. I want to work at Google. Okay, I'm going to start connecting with people that work at Google or that used to work at Google. I'm going to find somebody somehow, some way that knows someone there that's going to get me a conversation. And I'm going to be a human and I'm going to be humble, first of all. And I'm going to, you know, yeah, I'm going to let them know that I was in the military. If you want to utilize your service and uh, appeal to those who want to thank us for our service, there's no better way than humbly reaching out and being like, look, I was in the military. This is what I did. I'm having difficulties translating it to working for this company or to doing this job with this company. Can you help me out? Five people might not have you know, the time or energy at that specific moment to help you. But you don't just give up. You, you continually keep asking. I know you, for example, um, you just got an amazing uh, person, David Meltzer, to join your advisory board. Yes, yes. How many points of contact did you have to make to him before you popped out on his radar to where you got a response that was what you were seeking? There's more than one. He knows quite a few, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's this kind of stuff. Like, I get it. There's not a lot of resources out there that are telling it like it is. A lot of 
a lot of uh, the standardized things that that we get while in uniform when it comes to getting out are very vanilla, are very like no shit Sherlock or, you know, and that, and the thing is, is when we're serving, we got the blinders on. We're all mission focused, mission oriented. And, and there's a lot of reason behind it. A lot of times we're in life and death situations, but you owe it to yourself, your family and the country to invest in yourself. And in, in, you've got to invest in yourself. Time, money, energy, all of that. You, you have to do it if you want to level up because there's, there's no magic like transition fairy. <laughs> she doesn't no, exist. She does not exist. <laughs> Definitely not. So talk about your own transition from the Air Force. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's it's been a blessing. Um, you know, you you highlighted a couple things. Got to be on a a documentary called "The Next Mission." Myself and two other veterans. We traveled from California to Washington D.C. in an RV. So one one veteran, uh, Sergeant Sam Shockley, lost both his legs in Afghanistan. Shout out to Sam. Um, you know, purple purple heart recipient. You know, life changing, right? You know, he was serving. He thought he was going to be serving till he was 40 or older, you know, and in his 20s, stepped on IED and life changed. But he's pressing forward. He's at the University of Ohio. Always his dream to go there. He's crushing it, going to business school, um, not letting it hold him, hold him back. Uh, Helen Chandler, Captain Helen Chandler, she was the other veteran I was with. Uh, she had a traumatic brain injury while serving in the Army. And I uh, had to medically retire early and, uh, you know, big life change for her. Her identity, was, you know, wrapped up in the uniform. Myself, I got to retire early. So I retired at 15 years, 10 months, 29 days. Two hours and 13 seconds. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so basically, um, you know, I didn't have something medical that that uh, caused me to get out early or retire early. It was a uh, terror, the Temporary Early Retirement Act. Military said, hey, we're downsizing. We want volunteers or we're going to make people do this. And uh, I was volunteer number two in the Air Force. Uh, there was a guy in Japan who, due to the time clock, was able to volunteer before me. And uh, everybody thought I was crazy. They're like, what the hell are you doing? You know, you're one of the good ones and this, that, and the other. And, and I just said, hey, you know, I've been to school. I got my bachelor's, my master's. Um, you know, I've done the math. I'm still going to get a retirement. It's not going to be as much as if I stayed and did 20. But if I can't make up the difference myself, nah, I don't deserve it. And uh, and yeah, it's it's been interesting. You know, since then, um, I'd always dabbled in real estate. I'd purchased real estate, invested in real estate all throughout my military career. And, uh, you know, just getting a house at this base, getting a house at that base, moving some fam- you know, military family in there renting out, you know, and, and moving on to the next spot. And there was always a realtor involved who always got a chunk of change, 3% or 6 if they were on both sides of the deal. And uh, I always told myself, like, when I get out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my real estate license and, uh, and, you know, make some money that way. Um, so joined a pretty, good, uh, a pretty good team. Shout out to the Lambs team um, over there in Hawaii. Um, they're also in San Diego. But uh, yeah, we started out in Keller William, then we moved to Sotheby's and focused on luxury. And then eventually uh, EXP came out, which is a different model. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I went that direction. 
But yeah, I love real estate. I've always had a passion for it. Um, and it never was for me, like, you know, I'm a side hustler. I'm a hustler. Like when I was in the military, I was nightclub promoter. I was cutting hair. Um, you know, I was, I was flipping, uh, you know, sneakers or whatever was, was hot at the time. Um, you know, I'd figure out to get, you know, get what was sold out or what someone else wanted. And, um, you know, I had friends like back in Korea, so I'd, uh, I'd pay them money to get jerseys and, and ship, you know, jerseys from Korea over. And then I'd sell them in the dorm and, you know, different, different things like that. But, um, but yeah, since I've been out, like, um, really got into a lot of what Gary Vaynerchuk puts out. So, um, digital marketing was just one of those things that even while I was serving, um, and I think that kind of goes back to the nightclub promoter and, um, even just as an NCO, what I was doing in the operating room, being this kind of super connector and being the person that everybody would come to if something was wrong, it, uh, it just puts you in this personality where digital marketing just kind of really goes hand in hand with that being able to storytell, being able to communicate, uh, value being able to communicate uh, necessity, need, um, and be direct. And also, you know, the landscape in that has just changed so much, you know, everything from Snapchat to now we're using TikTok um, to, to Facebook where it's at compared to where it used to be, Instagram, um, you know, getting bought out by Facebook. There's, it's, it's an ever-changing landscape. And, uh, and, and what I realized, I, I utilized those skills I'd honed in real estate to, um, you know, make my model a little bit different. I, I didn't like calling myself a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. Um, every now and again, I say I'm a realtor, but you know, that's not really what I was. I, I was, um, or am, um, my, my focus there was more of a connector. I, I always had what I called a team of agents, people who that's their focus mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, they want to show houses and they want to um, sit houses to sell them and, and do the paperwork and all of that. And I can do all those things. You have to learn it to get your license. But uh, that's not where my power was. My power was in uh, creating awareness, finding those people that either wanted to sell or buy, uh, getting them to know, like and trust my capabilities and my team's capabilities and then sharing the wealth and, you know, a lot of greedy folks, you know, they want 100% of the deal. You know, I'm happy with 40 to 50 to 60, depending on how much work I'm putting into it. Um, the reason why is, you know, I can go do five of the, you know, I can do five to 10 of these deals in the same amount of time that I could do one deal if I was doing it all myself. And that just translates to a lot more money. And then when you get known because all these deals are going through, it just makes more and more referrals. Uh, people see more pictures of you shaking this person's hand and, you know, folks t- like, Hey, yeah, Bernard made this happen. I don't know. I, don't, I couldn't buy a house without, you know, Bernard's Bernard's support. Um, and, you know, and, and sales just start to, you know, it's like a nuclear effect. Sales just start to compound that way. Um, but I've used the same, uh, you know, method in e-commerce now. So pre-COVID, um, relocated uh, to Seattle for a while and, uh, you know, home of Amazon. E-commerce was just, is, was blowing up pre-COVID. <laughs> you see what happened with COVID. 
um, it just blew up even more, like like 400%, if not more. And uh, yeah, I got to join a team there and be their head of growth and business development and learn the ins and outs because the majority of them were ex-Amazon employees. Not that Amazon is the only e-commerce uh, platform and option out there, but it's the strongest one. And uh, yeah, just learned so much in that space. And, and again, having a team around you of experts that know their lane and understanding how those lanes come together. Um, yeah, it's just what I'm about being in multiple, having my hands in multiple uh, things that are uh, successfully providing value to others. So, Bernard, I might be in this wrong, but you had the opportunity to interview Le'Veon Bell, correct? I did. So, how did that come about? Was part of the NFL or something <laughs> or other? Or? Yeah, so the NFL and FedEx and the USO teamed up. Um, actually, they, they do it every year now. Um, it's the uh, service air and ground, you know, you think of FedEx Air and Ground uh, Awards. <laughs> and these are the fan-based awards that happen at the NFL Honors each year. So got to interview Le'Veon Bell, Drew Brees, um, a few other players, David Johnson, and uh, and just hang out. Got to go, got to sit on the 50-yard line, watch watch an amazing game, go to the NFL Honors and, and hang out. But uh, and How do you get this opportunity? I'm sure you just didn't like things that happen, right? What did you do to get this opportunity? For sure. Um, a combination of things. Uh, go For one, you've, you've got to have some form of a personal brand if you want to get something of that level. Like they're not just going to have someone come in and do this that they haven't seen speak, right? Is this person going to like get on live TV or get on a live, uh, you know, serious XM and, and start stuttering and start freaking out and start fanboying over, uh, <laughs> over NFL players. Um, funny enough, take it back to my years at uh, Andrews Air Force Base, uh, me and a few guys uh, went and played on the armed services team. So it was Air Force, Army, Navy. We didn't have any Coast Guard, but we played out of Walter Reed. Full contact, pads, everything. I'd, I'd played in high school. Um, I, I'm... I definitely could have walked on to some colleges, um, did a tryout at University of Maryland and could have walked on, but um, I wasn't scholarship worthy, at least at that time. And um, and so that just that didn't work out. But nonetheless, played this armed services football, uh, all the other branches like you Army guys and Marines and stuff like while the season was on, that was their job. Meanwhile, me and the seven other Air Force guys except for like one, he was an officer. So he just, he got it easy, you officer types. But um, the rest of us, whatever job we were doing, we were like from that DC, Maryland area, some base. And, uh, you know, we had to go to work. You know, they at least worked with our schedule so that we could play. Um, So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. But having that in the bio was also helpful. They're like, this guy's played football at a higher level than just high school. know he can he can speak to what's been going on and the and the season and things of that nature so yeah it's a combination of of you know what i've done in my past folks getting to hear my personal brand story folks getting to see me on stage talk the television spot kind of all came together to help that one 
So talk about the parts of having a personal brand nowadays and why you shouldn't be scared of having a personal brand. You should not be scared of being on social media. Sure. Super, super important. You got a personal brand, whether you like it or not. It might be a weak one, but everybody's got one. Um, When you're in the military, you're wearing the uniform nine times out of 10. You have not cultivated your personal brand. You know, Google or Wikipedia or whatever is just sat there and slapped a few things together or you're just kind of somewhat invisible. And even if you're invisible, that's a personal brand because you go try to get hired by a company that puts value into their employees being advocates, you know, for whatever uh, they're doing for their end users. They go look you up. They're like, man, you are in the military, the greatest military. And there's, you know, there's nothing there's nothing about you anywhere. Um, and people will be like, oh, well, you know, military, oh, we're all secret and, you know, OPSEC and blah, blah, blah. But go go look. There's mil- military times, Air Force times, Army times. There are stories about active duty doing great things left and right all over the place. I remember that one lady you introduced him to at a veteran Shark Tech's competition. I can't remember her name. But I know she was a station for Bragg, say some kind of marketing business, branding business. And she was like doing both full time. I can't mm. remember her name. And she, like, she, was, she was crushing it. I mean, there's so many. Um, uh, Charlinda is one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the CEO of Mutt Sauce. Okay, yes. Um, she actually um, got inspired to come back in and is actually currently like in the reserves, in the Air Force Reserves as an officer, as a major. Um, shout out to Mutt Sauce. Everybody uh, look that up. And uh, and get you a bottle. It's not just barbecue sauce. It's all types of sauce, as I've learned. Um, you can put it on salad, many different things. But, um, yeah, her grandfather actually served in the Air Force and was a fighter pilot. And uh, his, his cosign was Mutt um, because he could blend in to wherever. And, uh, and he passed on the secret recipe to her um, uh, before passing away. And uh, yeah, she's turned it into this um, awesome company. But prime example, I mean, she's been on Shark Tank. She, you, you look her up, um, look up Mud Sauce. You can see Charlinda in all types of PR campaigns, things of this nature. And she was doing it before the uniform mm-hmm. came off, and uh, and continues to do it now that she's put it back on in the reserves. Yes. Now you mentioned Gary V. So say to resume, you believe the Gary, you know, model content, 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 mm-hmm. or some people like, no, only post on Snapchat, only post on Facebook, uh-huh. only post one time a day. You're more right. like Gary V. like put more and more stuff out there. Yeah. I, I, I believe that it, you know, it doesn't hurt. I do believe that there's, there's a value and a time and place for quality, but I think that quality becomes a crutch more times often than not. Mm-hmm. And an excuse to not put content out there. Um, if you can get, you know, a, a platform, you you got to you can't be married to a platform for one because platforms go under platforms charge. Hopefully no one's still married in my space. Right. <laughs> exactly. So if you're you know, if you're a diehard fan and you haven't even like worked with that company, you know, or at that company and you're just this diehard like user, that to me is already a red flag of your understanding of personal branding, your understanding of marketing, your understanding of attention and the, and the future, there is always going to be a new platform. Mm -hmm. And it's been that way before we even had social media. 
you know, the old platform, Gary V talks about this all the time, the old platforms, you know, before that was, you know, it was the television mm-hmm. getting commercials and, and just being seen on TV was, was how to boost your personal brand. The biggest way, um, especially as a, as a company, uh, getting in the newspaper, getting in magazines, uh, being on the radio, you just keep going back to, you know, he even talks the prehistoric hieroglyphics and the caveman <laughs> writing on the writing on the wall. It's storytelling at the end of the day. So, yeah, I don't. Um, I, if if you're putting out too much content, that means you're you're putting out too much annoying content. And it's That's you need point. to like reevaluate why your content isn't popping and maybe there's something about it that's actually annoying people, that's different than getting exposure in as many places as possible. And that's how I say, who is it annoying? Is it, like, is it annoying your friends? Okay, of course, you know, okay, that's one thing, right? But is it annoying like the normal, someone you're trying to reach out to? Probably not because there's so much content out there. If you even post something 10 times a day, what's the odds of everyone going to see it, right? For sure. I mean, you know, it's October, right? So COVID's been getting us all down. People have been huddled up. People are just, you know, tired of negativity, the politics going on left and right. Who pops on the scene? You know, this guy with his... Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're talk about that in a minute. <laughs> he's got his cranberry juice. He's on a skateboard. Got some Dog Fleet, face. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. Viral. Changes his life. And, um, you know... He's just, you know, he he was on his way to work as a mechanic. Living his best life. Decided, I'm going to put this content out. I'm having a good day. He puts it out there. Now look at him. And this is a great story. And I, I told Bernard this before this, but he actually gave Gary V a shout out, right? Because he's a big Gary V. So he's a longboarder. He's a, you know, mechanic. I guess his car broke down. He had longboarder work. Doing the video, doing the video. You know, no big deal. Drinking cranberry juice. You know, this is like, what is this? This is some crap, right? And like, man, I'm not going to post it, right? And he said, Gary V came on pop and said, post it, post it, post it. He posted it, life-changing event. Like, yeah. I mean, what, I think last time I checked, 26 million views on just yeah. on TikTok. Uh, Mick Fleetwood copied it. The CEO from Cranberry, or no, Ocean Spray copied it. Yeah. They gave him, like, you know, this truck. They um, made him going to make him a thing, a personal representative to Ocean Spray. He has a Halloween costume, costume coming out. I think he's, he's going to be in, like, a video game. He's going to be on a video game. <laughs> For like a 50 second video. I mean, social media is life changing and you can't be scared. I mean, exactly. most of you have said, nah, no one wants to see this or I'll do some exactly. other time. It's going to get on someone's nerves. And speaking of Gary V, like, um, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but it's kind of like a full circle moment. So um, you asked, like, how did how did I get to do this NFL mm-hmm. thing? Well, I, I was putting out content. I was tagging individuals, pri- you know, prior that was not. NFL related and um, and the right people, you know, saw that. But funny enough, it w- I was inspired by Gary Vee. So I go, um, you know, this was the Super Bowl in Houston. So I go there. Gary Vee like shows up at this time. This was like back when he'd be like popping up in random cities like, hey, I'm doing a meetup. He's like, All right, I'm doing a meetup at the Marriott. Um you know, so I roll out to the Marriott. I see him, droves of people around. Um, I, I roll up to him and I tell him, hey, man, I'm, I'm here. I got my flight paid for, my hotel paid for. I'm interviewing NFL players all week. 
man, it's, it's you know, I've been listening to what you said. Um, and yeah, you inspired me, man. I'm here. I'm basically here because of you. And he was like, nah, man, it was you. You're I forget what he says. But the funny thing is, if you look up Gary V episode like Houston mm-hmm. or like Gary V Super Bowl Houston, something like that. And you watch that episode, the Daily V. I'm in it. Okay. Only for only for like a split second. Like we're dapping up or whatever. I got a beard and I got like a, a camo hat on. Um, but yeah, it's it's just wild. And since then, um, I talked about e-commerce. I was on a call, um, you know, with one of my e-commerce partners, and uh, one of our clients paid for Gary V to do like a. Uh, two, three hour session with them. And because we were doing e-commerce related things, I got, you know, I got to be part of that. And, um, you know, there, there's been other times and other things. So it's just interesting. Like if you, if you really go after something, eventually, you know, your heroes and the people that inspire you, you, you know, granted, just like you, you go hang with five bums, you know, because you don't have to have a I don't have to have like a daily uh, time with Gary V. I don't have to have a daily interaction with a so-called mentor. I can be uplifted and inspired by their writings, by what they're posting out on social media. Um, and, you know, you don't have to, like, go all in on one person's. You know, I'm a big fan of saying there are no gurus, you know, be your own guru. But, you know, you, t- you take you take the good, you take the value and, uh, and put action behind it and it's going to produce results. So back to the quality versus quality. One thing that always gets me, like people say, well, don't put out quality. Don't put out a lot of content posts. Let's put out quality. Well, you just don't pop up one day. Oh, here's my first <laughs> post. And it's the best post ever. You're like, you got to like practice and yeah. experiment. And while well, this works on Snapchat, it doesn't work on Facebook. Well, yeah. I, I said, let's talk about this. I mean, you got to experiment over and over again. Like you, you probably got to get like a hundred thousand, like lots of posts, right? To get so the quote unquote quality, right? For sure. And you never, um, you know, if you're just posting organic content, you're never going to beat the folks out there that are paying for views are paying for, you know, they're, they're running ads and getting their, you know, a lot of celebrities, um, you know, they, they're paying marketing teams to go in there and ensure that stuff is being popped up in the discovery. I mean, there's display. a reason Kyla Jenner has like millions of Instagram followers, right? She didn't do it by herself. I mean, yeah. she has a brand in but she has a good team behind her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eventually that's, that's like part of the game and part of the hustle. Um, because those individuals, their personal brand is a business, like they have a legitimate, probably LLC or other form of corporation. Look at the Kardashians um, just off of their name alone. You know, they're getting checks just to mention uh, X, Y and Z dog face. Mm. You, you think Ocean Spray is the only company he's going to deal with? Oh, yeah. He's been I'm pretty sure skateboard, longboard, skateboard is going to reach out yeah. to him. You know, gaming's already reached out to him. Exactly. You know, probably he's a mechanic, probably some kind of tool line is going to reach out to him. Yeah. And if he's just taking those checks as a as an everyday person with no uh, business entity, like taxes are going to eventually eat him up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, dog face, if you're watching this, hit a brother up. I'll consult you. Uh, we'll get you squared away. Um Delaware, Texas, one of these uh, non uh, state taxing places. And um, 
And yeah, get your checks rolling through the right way so that you can be riding off, um, you know, that gas money that you're that you're putting into that new truck. Yeah, the new uh, cranberry SUV truck. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, because that's going to let's be real. OK, that's a, that, you know, I don't know if they considered that a winning or uh, how they went about that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you've got an LLC set up at the least, you have ways to write things off and and mitigate that. I mean, um, you know, someone, you know, isn't there someone out there paid, you know, I don't know, seven hundred fifty dollars in taxes in the last however long? Yeah, with gold toilet seats. That's what they things. say. That's what they say. And talking about viral videos, like we haven't mentioned like how Believe We're Back is now the number one streaming music group, like by far, you know. For sure. Dreams is number one. Everything Believe We're Back is number one. For sure. I'm, I'm sure they're, they're how, doing a booming how many, business. How many kids on TikTok you think probably never heard of Fleetwood no, Mac in none their of life? Them. And they never would have. But no. now. You know, they know what it is. They know what and it on is. TikTok, they have like, they, they have like you, know, you know, people like, you know, copying songs, you know, great voices, like doing remixes or no. Yeah. Copy songs, whatever you term is, you know, they're mm-hmm. blowing up, you know. Yeah. Off yeah. Of, but man, not even a 30 second video. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, the club isn't popping now because of COVID, but if it was, like, be, you'd see people. Fle- Fleetwood yeah. remix. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a rapper or somebody, um, you know, they do some type of, uh, you know, 2000s redux on the on Fleetwood Mac or they do a, you know, do it together. Now, I, I think it's another good lesson too. Like Fleetwood Mac was the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I don't Mick Fleetwood was like here's the video copying Dogface, 73 years old. Yeah. They're in the mid 70s and they're relevant again. Yeah. And it's like so you and the content is like this dream is like the 70s, right? Yeah. And so content always comes back. It's always evergreen, right? For sure. And I mean, you know, he has that fan base, strong fan base, still performing things of that nature. But now it's a new generation. <laughs> he's gonna be getting hit up for you know, all types of all types of different things. I mean, they're using that song in commercials. I, I mean, I was, you know, I was traveling the other day for business and, um, you know, I was playing a playing a TV, playing football or something in, in the background while I was working. And um, all of a sudden, you know, I hear I hear the uh, Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac song and I'm looking and, and sure enough, um, you know, it's like TikTok commercial. It's, I mean, it's just wild. It's only takes one thirty second video, for sure. So Bernard, do you still do stuff with the USO? I do, I do. Um, you know, COVID has has changed a lot, so <coughs> so things are. And my cough is not COVID. I had a test last Wednesday, so did he. Before this, that's why we're sitting this close. <laughs> um, we're getting tested this Wednesday yep. too, right? Um, but uh, yeah, we we doing some behind the scenes work on some other other things. Um, we'll tell you guys about in the future, but, um, but yeah, USO love them. Great organization. Um, just haven't got to do, do work super recently been, been grinding. Um, and I think they're also going through some kind of restructuring and figuring out how, uh, they're going to serve the veteran community in different ways virtually. But, uh, but yeah, no, great question. I'll definitely read it, reach out to my points of contact there and um, and have a chat with them and just kind of like see what's new, what's going on and, and how I can be a part of it. So I tell people all the time, you know, most people don't like to public speak, 
But in, in today's age, you got to be a, I want to say a great public speaker, at least be comfortable with being a public speaker, right? You got to get in front of people, defend what you want, be able to ask for things. For sure. What's your recommendation to people like, man, I'm scared of public speaking. I can't do it. I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. I can never do it. How do you, what, what's the, what's the process for them to overcome this? Like, not be at least not like great public speaker, but he's comfortable. Yeah. It, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, like back in high school, I remember, you know, I was, I was telling you, I was a group commander and I remember we would have these ROTC inspections and they'd be like some inspector come from somewhere and they, you know, they try to make it feel like you're, you know, you're in the military and your, your organization's going through this big inspection. And I, I remember like having to have like my deputy commander who was younger than me, like be the, the focal point and do the, do the slides and the talking. Like I hadn't, I hadn't been trained in public speaking um, in school, and I was just like nervous about it at that time. I don't know what it was. It might, might have been a puberty or age thing. Um, but while serving in the military and working my way up, you know, you do so many briefings in the military. And, uh, you know, I, anyone that's put in a good amount of time has had to speak in, in front of a group of, of some level. And I would just say the biggest, the biggest thing is to just not shy away from it. Like once, you're going to get put on the spot and have to do these things. But once you do them, just, just start owning it and stepping up. Uh, I did a little Toastmasters early on in my career. Um, Toastmasters, for those that don't know, uh, it's like a nonprofit organization that's out there helping folks become better speakers. They have them all over. A lot of the bases have their own chapters, too. A lot of universities will have a chapter. So, you know, just Hop on their website, put in your zip code, look them up. Um, I actually took, so, you know, when you go to university, you've got to take electives and different classes. And I I don't remember if speech was a requirement, but uh, I went ahead and did it. And um, by that time, I was super comfortable and it was an easy A. (laughs) Um, You know, and also in the military, you know, in, in the Air Force, we had Airman Leadership School. NCO Academy, things of this nature that require you to get up and speak. And eventually I just got to the point where you can't shut me up. And so what's your history? We talk about, you know, being a crash platform, of course, social media platforms, content, content, content. But do you have a personal favorite social media platform? Uh, I think Instagram is is my personal favorite um, just because of the the creativity um, I like having both images and video. I like what they did when they when uh, Snapchat wouldn't sell to them, so they just started doing Insta Live and Stories, and you know now they're doing Reels, and uh, and here we are. But uh, yeah, I'd say Instagram. I think it's the I think it has the most going on. Um, it's got a little bit of all the platforms tied up into it super creative uh i love the discover um page so and i'm one of these like weirdos where i'm like looking at like you know uh house designing stuff entrepreneur stuff fashion like not just like like high fashion like suits and things but like um yeezys and nikes and uh you know i might even look at like skincare and you know i'm just random but um, you know, in sports, MMA, mixed martial arts. I love that. But, uh, but yeah, I like, I, I like the diversity and, uh, yeah, I'd say that's my, that's my, my, 
main platform right now. Um, LinkedIn, I would say, is a second close, although I haven't been uh, doing a lot on LinkedIn um, currently. Uh, you know, I'll probably get back to it a little bit more. But um, yeah, LinkedIn's a nice one too. So next, let's talk about PR public relations. I think a lot of people think of public relations that's only for big companies like Budweiser or Amazon or, yeah. you know, Firestone or Coca-Cola. Can <laughs> yeah. you talk about the forms of PR, like maybe small companies or even individual people? For sure. So, you know, as you know, I've uh, been doing digital marketing for quite a while. Um, funny enough, public relations is, is one of the services that I get reached out to the most for. Uh, and I think it's just because my my offerings aren't just public relations. They dive into branding and digital marketing, kind of like understanding both if if we don't actually tack those services on with it. Um, you know, a lot of times I want to educate the client that it's in their best interest too. But again, like you don't have to be Coca-Cola and um, whoever else to have a PR campaign. There's all different levels and getting your, this is again, kind of like the quality versus quantity. Like you're not going to do a quantity of PR because it's, you know, it's going to be expensive. Um, it's going to be a combination of paid and earned media. And, you know, unless you have an extensive budget, that's, it's not wise, but if you have something great going on that you want to amplify and then you're going to do the work to then come and, as we say, DJ that content. We'll take you, for example. Um, what's your most recent PR cam- campaign that you've done? And when David Messer joined my board of advisors. Very and nice. That's a big deal. Like, he's a you know, pretty well-known entity, you know, common, you know well-known. That's, that's, that's not us to take advantage of that. Good. And so when you did, what was your initial goal for a PR campaign? About how many publications did you want to see that talked about in? I mean, honestly, I know, I, you know, I had a pretty low expectations, right? So I was thinking it might be 50, 100, you know. That's, that's pretty high, actually. Is it? Okay. From what he said to me initially. Was it what I said before? I, I swear you were like, uh, I don't know, three or four. That's what I said. Okay, three or four. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that he's been on the other side of the coin, he's... <laughs> kind of how it works he's, now. He's bumped his numbers up. I kind of <laughs> I kind of know how it works now. So uh, about how many publications did your campaign get? <sighs> At least 300. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and like yeah. all kind of from national to local county papers, the the whole gamut. Last time I checked, I want to I want to say we we got it over four fifty. Four fifty, okay. Yeah, and it, and they weren't all just releases. Uh, you know, it was a combination of uh, audio because you had done uh, a podcast mm-hmm. with him. You had turned your pitch competition into a podcast. Mm-hmm. Then you, you know, you rip down the, the YouTube video down to just your part in that yeah. competition, created a video there. Uh, so, yeah, it, to be honest, you know, it's really like infinite. It's one of those things. And it's evergreen, right? It's evergreen. Yeah, it's there. And, and uh, I can DJ it over and over again and do yeah, the remixes, oh, what you want to call it. Yeah, exactly. And for those that, um, that don't understand SEO, search engine optimization, It's when you type, whenever you type something in Google and it starts finishing it for you, or you do a search for Google, those top things that pop up before, well, after or before the ads, depending where the ads sit on your either laptop, desktop, or or mobile phone, um, 
not the ads that are getting paid to be seen there, but the number one, two, three, four slots, um, you really want to try to own those as much as possible. And so when you type his name and David Meltzer's name, like his content is what actually pops up. And so David Meltzer, he was tagged and, um, you know, he's on your board and, you know, he took a big leap of faith and a risk coming onto your board. Um, you know, you could just be one of these people that just, you know, me, 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 what you're going to do for me. But what was his response to you in what you did with this actual PR campaign? He was, he was very pleased by it. And the first thing too, like, you know, I, I've been following David Messer for a while, you know, actually, you know, so the, the pitch conversation we did, I actually put it as a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And of course I shared it with him and his peer, Hey, I, I pushed that out again. And so I was doing like little things for him, right? Trying to add value, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to, I want, I got second place pitch competition. So I was part of the Facebook, Facebook coaching group. So I'm going that adding value. And just no adding, like I, I would, like I would, I would contact him one on one on Instagram Messenger. He would contact me back. So was I just out of the blue moon here? Here's can you be on my board advisor, right? Yeah. I was like, I know the backtrack. We were both part of Bucker Labs. I went to the VI Veterans of Residence in Seattle. Before I even asked him about the board advisor, I asked him could he come speak to the VIR people, and he, he agreed to do that, right? So just adding value just from different ways, mm-hmm. and because of that, so Bunker Labs does like a national summit every year. He's probably going to be, while well, they're looking to a possibility where he's going to be the keynote speaker next, next year for the Bunker Labs, That's right? Awesome. So all these things adding up. Then I felt comfortable. Okay, hey, David. Of course, you don't say, hey, David, I did all these things for you. Right. I, I, you know, because of me, you're going to be a keynote speaker <laughs> and maybe you make money, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just say, hey, my mind, I, I did these things, added value. Now it's yep. time to ask for help. And one thing David Mess is good on. Call that jab, 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 jab. Yes. Right hook. And one thing David Mess is good on, and I didn't think about this before, like all of us, you know, we're adding value, doing things, doing things, but we never ask for help. Right? He said, hey, ask for help once in a while. Like every time he's saying, every time you meet someone, hey, Bernard, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And then you say, hey, can you do this for me? And I'll, and I'll also say, hey, Bernard, do you know someone who can help me, right? For sure. And so that reciprocity, how you said what, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us don't do that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And Again, it goes back to if you provide a service, if you provide value for folks. Um, I mean, now here I'm on, on the podcast and, and um, you know, not tooting my own horn, but who, who ran your PR campaign? Somebody named Bernard Edwards. <laughs> so that was not, so, and that, this was not planned. Like, I'm not on here pitching, pitching anything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's that whole deal, right? So once you knew, that I can provide this value, this service. There's another bigger name attached to it. Mm-hmm. Now he may need that service or someone you know or he knows mm-hmm. might want to utilize that service in the future. And again, the reciprocity, like it just builds, builds upon itself. You know, you got to provide the value though. You got to provide the results, the metrics. You can't just say, this is what I'm going to do and then don't deliver. Um, yeah, for the work it's your right. reputation, right? Yeah. yeah. So don't get it, you know, don't get it twisted. You can't just be out in the street doing 50, you know, I, I didn't like come out the uniform doing all these different things and, and, and obtaining the skill, uh, you know, to work with high level companies um, overnight. You know, it, it took time and grinding and humbling myself. And, and, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, and Gary V talks about this too, unpaid internships 
um, or finding slick ways to work with a company in a role that isn't even a real role at that company. Um, most important is who do you want to work with at that company and why? What do you want to learn from them? I'd much rather go walk around shadowing Gary, Gary V for zero and doing a little bit of whatever he asked me to do for zero for three weeks than go get a paycheck for three weeks working in some corner office there and I get to see him twice in the whole three weeks and only for 30 minutes interactions and it did it is nothing memorable but if i'm hanging out with him guaranteed that meant that many hours like during that time we're going to create some form of a bond i'm going to learn a ton of shit and it's going to be priceless and and i mean even now the level where i'm at i could see myself doing you know doing that to um to progress in a very you know I, I do it for a very specific reason. I'd niche down and find out what my purpose is in that regard and how I can get that person to say yes. You know, I got to provide some interesting value. A lot of times the value can be time, right? We don't all, all got to go jump up to Gary V. Maybe I want to come um, be around Cavness HR. Maybe I want to, you know, come be around Bernard Edwards. Um, you know, whatever have you, like there's, there's different levels, but if someone, again, to what you were talking about being in the room with 50 uniform wearers that no one's been out yet, um, you know, and maybe there's a few, I don't know, GS people around who they were wearing the uniform yesterday. Um, you know, it, if that's, if that's your goal in life, uh, to stay in those lanes and stay within that comfort zone, I would just tell you that that's risky in in 2020 and beyond. Um, it was risky before then, but it's even more risky now. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about real quick how things work out in a funny way, right? So me and Bernard both live you know, in the Seattle area. I do a podcast in Seattle usually, you know, it never, never worked out. And just by, you know, by uh, circumstance, I'm in the San Antonio area now. <laughs> Bernard's in the San area now. Nothing related. Just having to be the same time. And we're doing some work in Austin. And so today, we're just both here at the same time. Like, hey, let's do this podcast. So we're in Austin. We work. Correct, too. We work in Austin. And we're not going to have podcast. It's kind of funny. Like, all the time in Seattle. Could never do a podcast in Seattle. Because <laughs> schedules never lined up. Now we're in Austin. You know, Austin, Texas. And lined up. It's, it's funny how things work out. It is. It is. I mean, you go back to, like, uh, you know, the first time we met in person. Um, you know, we were, we were at an event in DC. Um, you know, it, it, it's something to be said to those who invest in their success Mm -hmm. and their progress and want to soak up knowledge and learn from others and be around either like-minded or even more successfully minded individuals. And, and it's just, yeah, things play out that way. And I, I believe, you know, um, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. Um, and so when I say the power of the universe, some people look, look at me like I'm, um, uh, I don't know, doTERRA oil sales person with the, with the stones and <laughs> rubies and all that little hippie stuff. If you like that, cool. I mean, I like it too, but, um, 
Yeah, they, they think when I'm saying universe, I'm talking about that. Um, but yeah, um, I'm talking about like the power power of God. And yeah, I believe God works in mysterious ways and, you know, um, not to get too religious. I'm, I'm a, you know, whoever practices whatever they practice, so be it. Um, I'm never trying to pressure anybody in any, any kind of way. But uh, yeah, that was a random tangent. <laughs> so Bernard... <laughs> To follow up on that, perfect transition right here. We talked about public relations, social media branding. How yeah. does all that tie together? Like, how does that all combine mm. and be like someone like a better, you know, yeah. business entity, so yeah, to speak? Yeah. So omnipresence, um, being, having presence everywhere. Omnipresence really all ties it together, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, yeah, you want to be omnipresent uh, towards your goal, right? A lot of people have dreams, but you want to actually take those dreams, put them down into goals, small tasks that you can go and achieve. And you want to create this sense of omnipresence with your network, with your social media, uh, you know, things of that nature. Like for you, for example, you're, you're doing this podcast and this podcast, you DJ the crap out of it. And there's a lot of omnipresence in the way that it goes to many different platforms. You got folks who consume this in the car, just audio. You got folks that are watching this on, uh, you know, YouTube, m- you know, many different formats. You got this live. Where, where else you got this live? Uh, Twitch, Twitter. What's up, Facebook, Twitch? LinkedIn? Instagram live. For some reason, I can't get approved for LinkedIn live. It's, we'll it's, it's it. driving me back. We'll crazy. That's your next campaign. Yep. We'll, we'll work on that one. Um, for your audience, uh, where, how would you describe the demographic of your audience in the sense of industry? Or would you say it's pretty industry agnostic? I think it's pretty industry agnostic, I think. Okay. The one thing about podcast is it's not that great, right? They might tell you, you know, like what city, what state, or yeah. you might tell you what time of day, but as far as not like sharing a ton of deep any, analytics. Yeah, there's no deep analytics like yeah, yeah nothing like that as far as folks that interact with you mm-hmm. and let you know that they've heard your podcast and things of that nature mm-hmm. where do you see a lot of those folks coming from um, a lot of them from the midwest okay chicago a lot from chicago i mean pretty i have a pretty cross across the nation a pretty good mix across the nation and you know what uh what are some of their kind of like uh industry and career backgrounds um some hr of course um one is uh, like a um a medical platform. Okay. So different, different variety of them too, you know? Nice. Yeah. I mean, the thing is human resources touches so many levels, mm-hmm. so many, everybody's life. It's, it's important. I mean, in this day and age, if you're running a successful company and you don't, you don't got your HR down pat, mm-hmm. you're just asking for yes problems. Yes. So next, um, let's talk about entrepreneurship. From your point of view, <laughs> what makes someone, what characteristics does a successful entrepreneur need to have? Well, straight up, you have to be willing to fail. Uh, If you're a perfectionist and you can never fail, you're going to fail at being an entrepreneur miserably Um, just because it's it's part of the game. You're the entrepreneur life is just not a straight trajectory up the mountain. You're going to come. You're going to have challenges that are outside of your control. Uh, Let's talk about covid. How many entrepreneurs have had their companies go under mm-hmm. because of uh, because of 
things out of their control yeah. related to COVID. I don't think anyone had, you know, in their business plan or whatever last year, uh, plan for a worldwide deadly virus, you know. Exactly. But, you know, an entrepreneur is going to grind on regardless of that. You know, maybe they're going to have to go get a job temporarily to pay the bills and get back on their feet. But eventually that entrepreneur, and this goes back to kind of like answering your question, um, when they fail, when they fall on their face, when they have a challenge come up out of their control, they don't give up and just throw, it, throw their hands away and, and, and walk away from it all. Um, they pivot and, and go in a new direction, but they, they remain entrepreneurial. And you can be entrepreneurial working for a company. Um, the term intrapreneur is, uh, you know, it's growing more and more in companies. Companies want to hire entrepreneurial minds to come in and do things in different ways than a normal employee. So um, I'm not one of these people who believes, um, you know, you just have to be an entrepreneur or you have to be an employee. You, you can be both. It, at the end of the day, um, and I believe it's entrepreneurial decision to do both if that's the best thing for you as a, uh, as a person and as a, as a human. Is there a time when someone's entrepreneur, they've gone like three, four, maybe five years, they, no traction, nothing's going, like going for them. So an entrepreneur ever say, you know what, it's time for me to stop. This is not for me. Or should just keep on grinding and, and figure stuff out. Like as an entrepreneurship period or that period. particular business? That particular business. Uh, yeah. Again, it goes back to the pivoting. Um, you really have to set milestones and key performance indicators that let you know if you're being successful or not. Obviously, one of those key performance indicators is cash flow, but it can't be the only one, um, you know, because you've, we've all seen the diagram of that guy chipping away after the diamond, the diamonds, and yeah. he stops. That close, yeah. that close. And the, the other guy gets there. Um, so, you know, it... I, n- I never would say, you know, ditch anything completely, but pivot and take what you learned so that it an- can amplify your next move. What's the skill that you want to get better at? Mm, that's a good question. Um, one skill I would say that I'm, I'm working on is saying no more often. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, saying no more often and um, kind of in, in the same vein, in the same context, is focusing more on the quality of uh, how I spend my time and who I spend it with in relation to my business goals. Getting back to those milestones, KPIs, uh, realizing that, I only have so much time in a day, only so much time in life. And if something is distracting me from my main KPIs, my main milestones, and it's continually distracting me, I need to cut it out. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I've, uh, I'm, I love mentorship. Uh, I love being mentored and mentoring others. And um, yeah, I, I, I would say that this year and moving forward 
Um, I'm definitely setting higher standards to who I'm going to be willing to mentor. Uh, I got to put them through some, you know, some tests and ensure that. Are they quote unquote like worthy of your time and are they going to do the investment? Yeah. And it's not so much to be cocky in that Mm -hmm. manner. It's that if I give that individual time, not only am I not being able to put time somewhere else, maybe back into my own business, but there could have been another individual out there that would have really Mm -hmm. ran with that. And, and seeing awesome results and, you know, there's an, there's an energy that comes back to you. Even if this person doesn't turn around and hand me a check, thank you, Bernard, or becomes a client and says, Bernard, I want some PR Mm -hmm. or some digital marketing, or I want to buy a house. Um, Even if all that doesn't happen, just to see them succeed, there's energy that, that comes from that. And so if you're like pouring your heart out into somebody that's not, uh, providing action and yeah, that's, that's demoralizing. So yeah, yeah I want to be a better judge of, uh, yeah, the bullshit, the bullshitters, the tire kickers, the let me, let me pick your brainers, mm-hmm. the 20 minute um, coffees. Yeah. Yeah. This has always been my problem. Even since, you know, everyone's an army, right? Always been, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm doing the, the, the tech startup, the podcast, my collabs, you know, mentoring people. Oh, look, another project. I can do that better than they can. Let me take it over and do it for them, you know? Yeah. I, and I got to stop doing that. You do. Yeah. And it comes down to really writing uh, your objectives out, I believe, personally, not just writing them on one notebook. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got a whiteboard at home. I'm actually about to buy from Target or somewhere. They got these mini whiteboards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to like have that in the, like I'm going to carry that to the car and I'm going to put it in like random, put it in the, ba- in the, uh, in the bathroom by the wind, by the mirror. And just, um, you know, I've got a productivity planner that I write. I, I think that like you can't be writing down and looking at, your uh, your goals, tasks, and objectives too many times. Now, you can spend too much time planning them and just be this professional planner that never puts in the action. But when I say you can't write it too many times or see it or say it too many times, um, that's, that's different. What I'm saying is like, you gotta, you gotta have these reminders so that when you do encounter these shiny objects that are going to distract you and take you off the path. You've immersed yourself so much in knowing like what, what your to-do list is, what your main goal is, what your quarterly goal is, your monthly, your weekly, your daily, that, you know, the shiniest thing has got to like, man, it's got to be something amazing if it's going to take you off the course. It's called the shiny something object, shiny something object. Yeah, like shiny, shiny object syndrome. Yeah, that's it. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, Bernard, what is a product management? What is product management? What does that entail? Yeah, so product management, it's a it's a more newer career that has come around in the, in the startup scene uh, with organizations like Google, Facebook, uh, anyone that's that's got software, it doesn't just have to be software-based companies, but um, basically, it the term comes more from the product world or the uh, the software world because you're de- you're dealing with developers. So similar to in the operating room, 
I was the only enlisted person, but I was this glue that was bringing all of these patient care providers from the doctor, the surgeon, the nurse, the anesthesia providers, and the patient. We would transport the patient to the operating room. Um, I'm bringing all of these key individuals together mm-hmm. so that the the task at hand can be performed in the best manner. And I'd say that's that's what a product manager is doing. Uh, whatever the, the company is or whatever uh, particular product is being worked on, there is a customer who is the end user of that particular product. And so a product manager's goal is to make sure that everybody is really focusing on that end user and advocating for that customer because people will get like a developer. They're going to be like, man, I learned this and it's got to function this way. And it, this is so important. And they're, and now you've spent 48 hours going down this, this path that like doesn't even delight the, the end user or the customer, or you've already done the research and the customer doesn't like a red button. Mm-hmm. It's they, they want a light gray button. I mean, this is kind of nerdy, but um, product management can get very much that way. Um, you know, I went to product school in Seattle because I wanted to get an official certification in it. I just believe it's one of these careers and one of these areas that's compounding and growing. If you type in LinkedIn product manager, you're going to see it all over the place. Um Project management is something that's different, mm-hmm. but has some similarities that overlap. Um, so, yeah, shout out to anybody that's interested in product management. Um, it's a great career, pays well. And for myself as a consultant, it's it's something that I wanted to add to my tool house so that I could land more opportunities with, uh, you know, the software and the startup tech world. So, Bernard, can you talk about your own company? Yep. Yep. So BAA agency, uh, essentially what I talked about, um, we're a consultancy. We do everything from digital marketing, public relations, product management, and marketing. Uh, sometimes a combination of all of the above. Um, myself, I get into a little bit of influencer marketing, public speaking, um, when the opportunity, uh, provides, um, additionally, the new the new kind of behind the scenes that I'm working on for BA agency is uh, an e-commerce arm. So eventually that'll um, that'll be established and understanding exactly how our uh, our offering is going to come to the world. But basically folks that have a product that they're selling virtually, whether it's through Amazon or any other online platform, um, you know, direct to consumer, things of that nature, we will be uh, enhancing their capability to get that product in the customer's hands. So Bernard, what's your vision for your company? My vision is to eventually one day pass it on uh, to my family to be uh, a legacy company. Um, so a lot of folks, you know, they build up a company, they may want to exit and take a big check. Um, other folks may have a very specific uh, uh, money number that they want to hit before they retire, things of that nature. Um, for myself, you know, I want it to be successful and I want it to leave a legacy in a way for, um, you know, my son and, uh, you know, future family members. Um, I, I believe it's 
my duty to be this uh, this leader for the current generation. So I have to believe, based on what you just said, your business decisions are different from people and the one like, you know, sell for profit in a certain amount of time. You're making a long-term decisions, mm-hmm. uh, I have to guess. For sure. No, no fundraising, no VC capital. It's not to say that I won't um, dabble and work with uh, companies and ventures that, uh, that are in that space, similar to real estate. Like when you asked me my company, I didn't, I didn't uh, mention real estate there. I will have side ventures that um, can be more short-term goal-based. But when I, you know, when I envision like my, my company, my, my legacy, um, that's, that's the goal. So since you're taking this route, I have to imagine your growth's going to be slower. Mm-hmm. Do you ever find yourself getting impatient with For the process? Sure. For sure. Uh, and you can get frustrated when, you, when you're doing some service-based things for clients and especially in the consulting where you're getting paid to come in, find solution, find and provide solutions to problems or even uncover problems that they're not realizing are uh, the root cause or stimulus, um, you know, behind either uh, lack of clients or lack of um lack of sales, you know, it can be very frustrating when a client doesn't, uh, doesn't listen, um, or act upon the advice that you're giving them, but it, it is part of the consulting game. And it's something that you just have to learn to accept and understand, okay, um, you know, what is the best step for me to take next? Is this annoying me getting under my skin so much? Or is this something that is getting into embarking a situation where I can't utilize this as a referral because it's not going to be a successful uh, client relationship? They're not they're not putting the action in, so it's not going to look good. I can't I can't now say that I've worked with this organization because we work together, but they didn't come through on their end. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that if you just take checks. Uh, it's to me that reputation wise, it's, it's going to cause some problems. Bernard, can you talk about your process of quote unquote, you know, firing a client or getting rid of a client? Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> slow to hire, quick to fire. <laughs> Works all, everywhere, right? Works everywhere. Um, you know, I've had clients pay me there. You know, I require majority of clients to pay half up front before we get started so that I'm blocking out that time for that individual or for that organization. And, uh, and, you know, and that's a protection measure. But if I, if I do get into that scenario where I'm having to fire that client, a lot of times I'll give them that money back, even though contractually I don't have to, um, that's, you know, to answer your question, like that's, that's my way of doing business. Um, I like to really sever, uh, you know, hey, it, that just lets that individual know, like, hey, um, you know, this is kind of like into discussion on this subject. Um, you know, there was a breach on their end, and uh, and you know, it's time for it's time to move on. And I don't get too caught up in it um, because in in the service business, it's going to happen. Mm. 
Um, you know, and it's why you have contracts. And I've been burnt. Like I've had individuals not pay um, the last portion of their contract, things of this nature. Uh, sometimes you take that to court. Sometimes you don't. You really just have to uh, evaluate what uh, your time is worth. And and sometimes you've got to go to your legal counsel and <laughs> and let them tell you whether it's worth your time too. Bernard, someone comes to you for personal branding and their personal brand is like atrocious. It's like really bad. Mm-hmm. Can that be fixed? Is this a matter of time or how do you, how does someone overcome that? Yeah, definitely can be fixed. Uh, you know, it could be that this individual has done some things in the past that they're going to need to, you know, o- overcome and basically rebrand themselves. Um, it could just be that they haven't done any any personal branding. You'd be surprised how many companies out there, uh, the employees have a better personal brand than the actual CEO and most of the C-suite. And a lot of it has to do with time, right? So um, companies like, say, a FedEx, for example, you know, things of that nature. Once someone climbs to the top echelon and doesn't really, they, they feel they've hit the ceiling and there's nowhere else to go, they, they don't have a big interest in, uh, in personal branding, right? Mm-hmm. But anyone that is, is not there and is young and has some, some time in their career to go, like, you're going to have to uh, put some work in. And the first step is really like understanding what are you going to do with your personal brand? We talked about my mantra when I, when I first came on, um, understanding your passion, connecting it to a purpose bigger than yourself, and then utilizing those understandings to pivot and pivot and pivot again. Um, and your passion and your, your purpose can change over time, too. And so that's, that's where pivoting will also happen. But yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is sitting sitting down. Step one, fundamental. Okay, wh- where is the passion and what you're telling me you want to do with your personal brand? What's the purpose? Why? Why the heck are we going to go ahead and invest all this time and energy? Because it is time and energy, and sometimes money. Mm. Um, and you just don't want to do it willy nilly. Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna now I'm gonna have a personal brand. I'm gonna brand myself as whatever. And he's just like wiling out and creating all this stuff. Um, you know, first impressions are pretty important. So, yeah, it takes planning. So, Bernard, I forgot to, I forgot to ask you some pre-talk, but we have any kind of gift or discount you want to give out to the listeners? I will tell uh, the listeners to go check out, just based on what we've been talking about, um, go check out two books. One is The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris. It's a really great book about geo-arbitrage and about lifestyle design. And the other book, I would say, is Jab, 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 Right Hook by Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, That book is all about providing value to others um, before basically asking them for value. Yes. Bernard, can you provide us your social media links for you and your company so people can reach out to you? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, head on over to bernardedwards.me, dot M-E. Uh, you can go to the website. Uh, you can also go to Instagram, bernardedwards.me, um, and 
go to LinkedIn, check out Bernard Edwards. Um, hopefully I've optimized myself enough to where when you type Bernard Edwards in LinkedIn, I'm the first one that pops up there. Um, for most people that happens, some not I'm work, still working it. It's a, it's a work in progress. There's lots of Bernard Edwards out there, but um, yeah, those, those three places. And from listeners, we have the links to those two books and the social media on show notes. You can find us show notes at www.cavernshtlblog.com. Be sure to share this episode with all your friends and your network. So Bernard, we, we covered a lot of stuff today. What is something important you want to leave with people today? Like what's some advice for somebody out there? Like some last words of wisdom or advice? Definitely have an old fashioned with uh, a friend. Oh yeah, time out. Time, time. So you forgot to talk about that. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Talk about your love for old fashions. I'm glad you reminded me. Old fashions. That's that's how did, that, how did how did that start? Like how I mean old fashioned, how did that even start? Like not I, Crown and Code, not Hennessy, yeah. not you know, like not yeah. Jameson, but yeah, old fashioned. You know, I, I like different, you know, I like some different liquors, but um there's just something about the old fashioned. It, you know, maybe it um maybe it has something to do with my British roots. Some, yeah. something like that. I think it has a little bit to do with it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um yeah, it's just that kind of like <clears throat> old timey drink that I, I think is getting a little more trendy now. But mm-hmm. for the most part, you don't you don't see that many people drinking it. And uh, and yeah, we we uh, like to have those from time to time. So let's give a shout out real fast to the best old fashioned person in the world that we know of. Yeah. Well, is uh, speaking of uh, COVID and affecting businesses. Are they, are they still in business? They're not closed down. Yeah, seriously, they're closed down. down. That they own it, shut it down permanently. Wow. Yeah, so we used to, uh, we weren't members of a co-working space in Seattle that was that was private, but we knew the bartender, and uh, they, they had a bar um, across from our co-working, across the street from our co-working offices. And so, yeah, afterwards, every now and again, we'd go over there and meet some new people, networking, right? You're in a building with the same people day in, day out, going over somewhere new, um, having a little drink. They say alcohol is a social lubricant. So you, you, you talked about public speaking and being nervous. Hey, maybe an old fashioned will help, help a person out. Yes. Yes. So Bernard, I want to thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. A lot of value today. Thank you very much. Hey, I appreciate you, Jason. Love what you do. Um, shout out to all the folks watching this. Um, you're awesome too. Be great. And thank you for listening too. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you. And remember to be great every day. You've got to pump it up, don't you know?